0: Listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winterhaven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Why are you turn into Luke chapter number nine? We're going to finish up, a, a, well, a major section in Luke uh, today as we transition into a, a new section next time. I like watching sports. I like, uh, well, I like college football especially. Um, A lot of years I'm not as thrilled toward the end of the year as I am at the beginning, but you know what? That's just the way it is. Uh, I I do, I enjoy watching professional football. It's, you know, I I enjoy it. Got to see one live last week thanks to, to good friends and opportunities to see my favorite professional team get slaughtered on a Sunday. But uh, I enjoy I enjoy basketball. One of the things that, that I find that is common is that during a game that's televised, they'll typically, as the teams are going into their locker rooms, they'll catch one of the coaches. And, and, and you know, it, either one, the one who's up or the one who's down. And, and they'll grab the coach and they'll bring him aside and, and, and they'll ask them Dumb questions. They're the same questions all the time. Well, coach, what do you think? You know, I'm, we're down 30 points at halftime. What, what do you think, coach? What are you going to have to do? And, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know. We've been uh, we got to get ahead of game plan. It's just not working out. One of the common things, no matter what the sport that's being interviewed, the coach's most common answer is, I just we just got to get in here, and we've got to make some adjustments. Well, we've got some adjustments to make. We came out here, we had a game plan, the game ha- plan has just gone in the toilet. We got to go in here, and we've got to make some adjustments. We we see now where some of our errors are, and we got to come out here, and we got to implement this game plan. Kind of, that's what we're seeing in Luke chapter 9, toward the end of it. But we've seen the early ministry of Jesus that Luke portrayed from his birth narrative to the early years in the gathering of his disciples. And then he moved to a section of early ministry in Galilee where Jesus is going about, he's introducing, he's pronouncing the kingdom. He, he's, he's telling the people that the kingdom that has been promised is ready to be revealed. And he's doing works that are identifying him as someone very unique. Some are even beginning to say that maybe he is the Messiah. The disciples are then asked point blank, "Who do you say that I am, guys?" There a lot of opinions in the crowd, but who do you say that I am? And Peter the spokesman looks at Jesus and says, "We've decided that you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. We believe that you're the promised one." And Jesus says, "Very good." And then he lays out for them his mission. Not to go and and take a throne by force. Not to remove all of the enemies of the nation state of Israel. But rather, he told them that his mission at hand as Messiah was to go to Jerusalem, be rejected, be, be crucified. Well, actually he says killed. And on the third day, be raised from the dead. Blows their mind. When when he says this, because that's not at all what they were expecting out of Messiah. And then he really messes up their thinking when he says, And anyone who will follow me must also deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me confused and 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 probably uh, uh arguing amongst themselves what in the world does this mean if we got this wrong and how, how are we supposed to understand this and Jesus invites three to come up to the side of the mountain with him where on that mountain last week we saw Jesus pull back the vest just a little bit To give just a little sneak peek of the glory that is His, showing them, reminding them that, yes, you got it right. I am Messiah. There is glory associated, but not the way you expect it. The glory that will be mine will come through suffering, through submission, through death, and resurrection. And so what we're, what we're coming to the end of is the Galilean ministry of Jesus and the revelation that He is Messiah. He is the one through whom God's kingdom will be revealed and established. And now Luke is going to turn and he's going to begin the, uh, one of the latter sections. It's going to be a large section of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem where all of these events will take place. But we've got a few little, like, little odds and ends here. There are four of them between the, the transfiguration, the, the, the revealing of, yes, this is him. And then on our way to Jerusalem, I think what we do is we get these little snapshots. Of the life of the disciples and some of the things that they're still wrestling with. They're still bumbling and stumbling over. And I think what we're seeing is, okay, Jesus, it seems that you're headed toward Jerusalem now. Now, what are we going to need to do? Well, you know, uh, Sandy, I'm going to have to take these boys back. I'm going to have to remind them some things. We've really got some adjustments to make if we're going to make this journey. And they're going to get what's going on. I've got some things that I still need to teach them. And I think there are things that we still wrestle and are confused and are consistently stumbling over that we need to be adjusted as well so we're calling this this morning halftime adjustments there's four of them let's look at them Luke chapter 9 verse 37 on the next day what day after coming down from the mountain Jesus has been transfigured and and glorified in just a, a little glimpse on the next day When they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it, it shatters him and will hardly leave him. He, he's describing something similar to what you might observe with epilepsy. These seizures, these convulsions, and, and, and at times even, even the foaming at the mouth. We see that a lot in, in an epileptic situation. That that's what he's describing. But, but Luke, the physician says that it's, it's not just an epileptic condition. It's a, it's a spirit, an evil spirit, if you will. It's a demonic possession. And, and he says, and I'm begging you to look at him. Verse 40, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Remember a few weeks back, Jesus sends the, the twelve, two by two, to go out through the towns and the villages of Galilee and, and to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and remember, Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority and I'm giving you a measure of my power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And one of the other gospel writers says, to even raise the dead. So these disciples had been given a measure of Jesus' power and authority. And they went on that journey and they saw some amazing things. And they came back and they were excited and they talked to Jesus about it. What we don't know is if that power and authority remained on them. So if this was something that they had continued to be a part of or if that had gone away. But what we do see is that while Jesus and Peter and John and James were up on the side of the mountain, the remaining disciples had encountered this man who obviously knew who they were and had brought the son and they were attempting to exercise this demon. And they found themselves unable to accomplish it. One of the other gospel writers tells us that in this scene that what Jesus walked up on was more than just a crowd. He walked up on an argument. Some of the religious leaders, the scribes, had had apparently seen or heard of this inability of the disciples to cast out this demon. And so, not only was it a failure on their part to to do what they thought they could do, now there's an argument about why they couldn't do it. And there's an argument about, about whether or not they should even be trying this or whatever it is they're fussing over. Verse 41. Jesus answers... Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Most commentators believe that Jesus, while he might have been speaking broadly, it seems as though he's addressing these disciples who had found themselves unable to cast out this demon. And he's calling them faithless and twisted You're like, man, that just seems harsh. Yeah, it does. He says, bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. Jesus says, bring your son to me. And as he was coming to Jesus, he was thrown down. And he begins to convulse in front of him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. They had seen the disciples, unable to do this. And then Jesus just walks up on the scene, calls the boy forward, rebukes the spirit, and he's gone. And everybody's like... That's what I'm talking about. Right there. And I can just imagine the cheering and the high fiving, the chest bumps. It's awesome. This is great. It's the, it's the halftime shot that brings it to, to, to the tie game. And we're going in and coach, what do you think? Well, honestly, we've still got some work to do. We've got a lot of work. We got to get in there and we got to make some adjustments. Adjustment number one, Jesus needed to adjust their understanding of dependence. The disciples were apparently trying to rely upon their own power or assumption to combat evil in this way. It it seems like that, that what they were doing was trying to accomplish something in their own strength. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that. But that seems to be what's happening. In one of the other Gospels, Jesus is, is come, he comes, one of the disciples comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, why weren't we able to cast this one out? Jesus says, this kind requires prayer. And in some translation, it also includes and fasting. It sounds like what Jesus could be saying is, you guys tried to go at this at your own strength. Or you assumed that you could do this rather than encouraging the Father to wait and be a blessing to Him while you're waiting on me to return. One of those. Or it could have been that they tried to cast out this demon and when they failed, they just simply quit. Where Jesus is saying, Did did you not consider your failure drive you to your knees? Have I not shown you by my own actions that I take time to go to the Father? That I come before Him in submission and in dependence? Did you not consider that one of those or something similar? They, they, they've come at this on their own. And Jesus needs to adjust them from the principle of the world to the paradox of the kingdom. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the kingdom of Christ is an upside-down reality. It's glory through suffering. It's not glory through power. It's a, it's a way of, 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 of grandness through humility, not through making your own way. And so Jesus is having to make adjustments in their understanding of dependence. The principle of the world says we master skills and subjects... So that we rely less on our instructors. I mean, think about any place you've ever been trained to do something. They're training you because they ultimately want you to be able to go out and do it on your own. And the longer you've been doing something, the less patience your superior will have because they'll say, haven't you been taught how to do this? Am I still having to show you? Because the principle of the world is to master the thing so that you can handle it on your own. The paradox of the kingdom is this. The more and more faithful you are, the more dependent you become on the king. You see, Jesus is not saying, I want you to learn these things. I want to teach you how to do stuff so that every morning, like clockwork, bang, you get out of your bed, 5.30, you hit that alarm, and you're right there in the Word, and you're reading, and you're studying. I I don't want you to learn these things so that you become so familiar with them that you can do this on your own. Because as soon as we begin to do this on our own, we begin the process of stumbling and bumbling. The paradox of the kingdom is to become more and more faithful by becoming more and more dependent on our king. He moves on. But while they were all marveling, I I don't think that, that Luke is saying that this happened immediately following you read the other gospels. And you find that there are other things that seem to have happened between this encounter and and the next scene we're about to see. But think what Luke is saying. He's using a tense that talks about the fact that they had been and are continuing to marvel. The crowds, the world, the folks that are looking and listening to Jesus are walking and talking in these elevated, excited ways. You know, they're just marveling and exciting. And while they're all doing, that Jesus says to his disciples verse 44 let these words sink into your ears you ever had a a a parent or a, a some sort of authority say have I got your attention you know are you listening to me he's trying to get you to focus in Jesus says let this sink into your ears The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, now in this little section, this little sentence, Jesus reveals something that he had not told them earlier in this chapter. See, earlier in this chapter, he says that that I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Here Jesus uses a word that, that involves betrayal. This little word that's, that's, uh, that's translated for us to be delivered into, that it has the idea of either, of either handing off responsibility of something, a passing of the baton to someone else, or it typically has the idea of a betrayal, handing someone over in an attitude of rejection through betrayal. We know what's coming. We don't have the luxury of reading Luke the way the first readers of Luke read it. We know what's coming. And Jesus says, let this sink in. They're all marveling. They're all you know basking in the excitement of what they're seeing and hearing and expecting. And I need you to focus. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. The other Gospels say that Jesus reiterated the fact that He would then be killed and raised on the third day. But Luke tells us they didn't understand this saying. And Luke alone tells us that it was concealed from them. It was hidden, this understanding, so that not only didn't they get it, but they couldn't get it. It seems to me that what is happening is that God is concealing the magnitude of of what they're hearing. Why would God do that? I don't know. I'm not God, but maybe that He knew they could not take all of it. They would not be able to handle the weight of what Jesus is saying. You, you, you wonder why we argue so much about how things are going to happen in the future, when Jesus is going to come back, and how that's going to look, and where we are going to be, and, and this and that. You ever wonder that, that that maybe it is that the reason we can't get our minds and, and hearts around exactly what it means, is it possible that God's even like, yeah, y'all don't. If you knew exactly how that was is going to turn out then you guys would just be wasting a whole lot of time I just want you to know enough to know that I got it under control and you can trust me quit arguing about it and keep going on what I've told you and I think that might be what's happening here but I think what Jesus is showing what Luke is revealing is that the coach has a, a a job in front of him he needs to adjust their expectation of what lies ahead three of them have seen majesty and glory The whole crowd of them are celebrating and marveling. Where are we going next? We're going to Jerusalem. Woo! This is going to be awesome in Jesus' life. Uh Uh-uh. I need to manage your expectations. I'm going to be betrayed. When we get where we're going, it's not going to be what you're expecting. It's certainly not what they're expecting. This crowd... This crowd's going to be singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And with just a few days, that same group of people is going to be crying out, crucify him. Guys, you need to get your expectations adjusted. You keep following me. Keep your head in the game. You keep watching what I'm doing, hearing what I'm saying. While the crowds continued to marvel, the disciples needed to refocus on Jesus' imminent suffering. The principle of the world is self-preservation and protection. We got this. We'll rally the troops. We're going to go into this thing full bore with, with everything we've got. The paradox of the kingdom is to expect and embrace betrayal and suffering in your life and mine. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you take up your cross and understand. Following me means that you're going to feel like an outsider. You're going to feel like someone who's just had the rug jerked out from under their feet and follow me following me is going to bring about far more difficulty than excitement and happiness but it is the way to glory so keep on following me verse number 46 an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest it's living proof that you can graduate the boy out of middle school, but you can never take the middle school out of the boy. What are they doing? They're arguing about who's the best, about who can, who's going to be the most successful. Well, you know, if Jesus is picking, you know, if it comes down to looks, well, you know, it's if it comes down to smarts, well, I know who it's not going to be, Peter. Yeah. So they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is greatest. The disciples are interested in who will qualify for the best roles in the future kingdom. All right, we've, we've discovered and we've, we've decided that Jesus is Messiah. He's saying some things about suffering. We don't really get it, and we're afraid to ask him what he's talking about. But but let's just be thinking, eventually we're going to go into this kingdom, and he's picked us. We're the 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 of us. So he must be planning to do something pretty special with us. So what do you think you're going to be? Or what, what do you think I'm going to be? And And they're thinking and they're arguing over who's going to have what position in the kingdom that Jesus is going to reveal. Because the principle of the world evaluates greatness in terms of power, intellect, talent, pedigree, and fortune. How much you can push yourself into places of of authority. How much you can think your way. How much you can can amaze your way into places of prominence. What family you come from. What, what line of folks that you're a part of. And then what hand and pocket you may be able to line. The disciples are thinking in those terms. And Jesus says, hold on guys. I, I know what's happening here. Let, let me show you something. And... One of the other gospel writers says that they were in a house when this transpired. So whoever's home this was, apparently their children were playing about. And in this culture, and in the Greco-Roman culture, no one was any more insignificant than children. Children were only significant to their parents. And in reality, a child was only significant to their parents as a prospect of, of financial help into the future. So if a child grew up and was not helpful or was somehow a a drag on the family, then they were cast off and rejected. So children were, you know, they were just kind of, yeah, they're here. We'll see. They were the most insignificant. And as they're playing, Jesus takes one of the children and stands that child beside him, signifying a place of honor. Well, if he's Messiah, then that means that he is God's anointed. If he is God's anointed, then that means he is the rightful king. And he sets this child insignificant to everyone in the room except his mama, and the king. And he sets this child here and, and and he's showing them that it's not about what you bring to the table in importance that will elevate you into places and positions of greatness. Jesus says, Let me explain to you what greatness and elevation looks like in the paradoxical kingdom of God. He puts this child there with them and he says this. Whoever receives this child receives me. Well, it's important to know what the word receives meant to those that were hearing Jesus say that. It was a term for welcome. It had to do with hospitality. In that culture, kid comes, knocks on the door, person walks up to the door and finds out a kid like, hey, get away from here, quit, leave me alone, what in the world? But if a person at home hears the knock and a dignitary is standing at the door, they'll say, oh, welcome, come into our home, let us lay a, a meal before you rest, let us wash your feet. How, what brings you to our humble home? We're so thankful that you're here even if you don't know them because of who they are Jesus says whoever welcomes and seeks to meet the need of the lowest of the low the most insignificant of insignificance the biggest problem at risk Young person in Westwood, or or Dennison, or or Auburndale, or Winterhaven, or Bartow, or at the at the Hope House. A- anybody thought this week if you don't work for Youth for Christ? Anybody thought this week about the kids who are at Hope House all week long? Why? Because if we're honest, not very significant to us. Jesus says, You want to talk about greatness and elevation? Whoever welcomes one of these has welcomed me. And and whoever welcomes me by welcoming them has been welcomed by the one who sent me. Jesus is just up to Annie. He says, you you want to to welcome me and meet my needs? And of course we do. Do you want to be someone who welcomes the voice in the bush? The bringer of the plagues? The causer of the flood? Do you want to welcome him? Of course we do, Lord. Well, okay. You welcome him by welcoming me. You welcome me by serving them. You see, the principle of the world says we evaluate greatness on what you have to offer. The paradox of the kingdom evaluates greatness in terms of humble service to the least of these, the insignificant ones. See, the disciples needed an adjustment in what greatness looked like. We need an adjustment in what greatness. Greatness is not having your stuff together. Can we just be honest? Because none of us have our stuff together. Amen? Yeah, don't lie. It's true. We, We all in the same broke boat, right? We have an opportunity together. To seek to serve Him, not by just being here and, and, and smiling and, and worshiping. That's all great out there. Serving the least. Jesus says, that's what's great to me. And you do it in, in, in what way? In my name. Well, what's my name have to do with it? it? It means that I'm doing it motivated by what I think my Savior would be doing. Motivated by what I think my Savior would want me doing. Representing Him to the least. Because who come to the least anymore than Christ? Who set it aside so that He might put on flesh and come to us. Well, He wins eternally the greatness evaluation. We do ours by finding those that we can serve. And then lastly, I don't know why John asked this, but he felt compelled. John answered and said, Master, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you maybe it just got awkward there for john maybe the silence just sort of held there and nobody was saying anything and john just thought uh well we saw somebody doing something in your name but they weren't a part of our group so we told them to quit jesus goes yeah i'm sure you did Disciples thought they should oppose anyone ministering in Jesus' name who was not affiliated with them. The principle of the world promotes unbridled competition and the removal of rivals. Well, In, in competition, we're trying to reach greatness. And, and, and we're trying to do, oh, they did it good. Well, let's do it better. And, and, and if we can do it better, then maybe we can push them out they can become a part of what we are and then you know it's just wicked and it happens week after week after week and it's never more seen any worse than at a pastor's conference that competition and wishing in a godly but not way that maybe some of my rivals would go away and that's just wicked Jesus said that's no John just because you don't know him doesn't mean I don't know him. How long were the disciples gone on their little mission journey? I'll tell you the answer. We don't know. Could have been a week. Could have been a month. Could have been three months that they were gone. And Jesus was in a hammock with a little fruity drink with an umbrella in it, sitting about working on his tan all that time, right? no his father is always working and I too. to him do you reckon Jesus might have come across some other folks that weren't a part of the 12 that, that he might have struck an interesting conversation with that came about in faith and 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 wanting to follow and do you think it's possible that Jesus might have conferred on somebody that they'd never heard of the opportunity to go represent him not necessarily in their circle you reckon that's possible of course it is i love oasis church i love the opportunity to be here i love you but do you reckon there's somebody within a couple of miles of us that he might be wanting to work through as well yeah and did he tell me anything about them no why because they don't belong to me they belong to him Jesus says, the paradox of the kingdom, John, they're not against you. Look at them as an ally, not as an enemy. Look at them as a a help, not as a rival. Don't be competing. Don't tell them to quit. The paradox of the kingdom celebrates the efforts of all the servants of God. Now, maybe they may do things like we wouldn't do them. Maybe they believe something that's significant to us but insignificant to the gospel that 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 maybe we would argue about and maybe it is that neither one of us have the exact right answer so what should we do well i ain't talking to them you can not talk to me they shouldn't be doing that no we celebrate true followers of jesus why because we're all on the same team now for the disciples All the team knew was he's Messiah, and he's the one we're following. Now we know more through the New Testament, and we do have to be careful because everyone who says I'm a follower of Jesus is not following the same Jesus I'm following. If their Jesus arrived on a spaceship and is coming back in the same way, then we're not following the same Jesus. So we have to be discerning, but when we find the Savior in common, That's reason to celebrate. That's reason to be excited. That's reason to encourage. Some adjustments needed to be made. If we're going to head to Jerusalem, we got a lot to learn, boys. We got a lot to get right. But we're headed that way, and you've still got a lot to learn. Kingdom adjustments for today. How faithful are you based on your current daily dependence on Jesus? How faithful are you as a follower of Christ based on your current dependence on Him? Not how much are you doing, not how much are you accomplishing. How dependent are you upon Him? Because that's how He measures your faithfulness. Number two, how much do you expect God To provide you with earthly happiness? Be honest with yourself. How how much of your week are you thinking, Okay, Lord, it's your responsibility to make my life happy. To to, to make things the way I like it. To do things the way I want you to do. to To keep the financial levels where I'm comfortable, Lord. I need you to do that. To, to keep the tires running a little I, I, Lord, I can't handle you causing one of them to go flat. Lord, I can't handle you giving me a sickness right now. How, how much of our weakness based on expecting God to keep us happy? When he's already said, y'all, listen. Following me is tough. It's, it's a cross picked up. Prepared to suffer. Trusting me to provide your needs but accepting however I decide to do that. Number three, we we might need an adjustment on that. Number three, how are you tangibly serving the insignificant around you in the name of Jesus? You say, wow, Pastor Kevin, I don't really know. Well, how exciting is it? That we've got an opportunity for you to explore that. Just right outside that door. And maybe you are. And God bless you. Let's keep it going. Uh, Look for ways to draw others into the way you're serving. But the worst thing you can do is just say, Yeah, I don't know. And go home. I think we might need an adjustment in that arena. And then lastly, Who in the faith... Do you need to stop competing with and begin celebrating? Maybe it's an individual believer. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's another church. Maybe it's a church you came from. You say, I'm just glad we're here because I don't like that. No, look, let's quit competing. Let's quit, let, let, let's quit sizing up this, that, and that. Maybe it's somebody that you just need to go, you know what? Thank God for you. Thank God for what He's doing through you. And, and I just want to see you as an ally and no longer as a rival. we got adjustments to make. You know, if following Christ, well, that ain't easy. And it's absolutely upside down. And if we're going to follow Him, we've got to embrace the upside down. Put one foot in front of the other and follow Him daily. Dependent, looking for opportunities to serve. Realizing that everybody we look in the face is somebody for which Jesus died and loves dearly. And how might we serve them for His glory? We agreed on that? Let's stand up. We'll go home. Maybe it is that you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Well, you heard it sung about this morning. You heard it talked about through the testimonies you heard about messiah who was crucified in your place and for your sin but raised victorious to provide liberation from that sin forgiveness opportunity to be brought into god's family by faith alone in jesus alone today be a great day to go home knowing him as your savior you'd love to know more about that well go check out youth for christ and find out how you can serve the insignificant, and then come back and find me. I'll still be here, and we'll talk about what that looks like for you as far as your relationship with him is concerned. And Christian, no. You need you need to make some adjustments. I know that because so do I. And let's just do that together. Amen? Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you that... Uh, that you don't blow up the team and pick new members. You just keep working with us. God, we're thankful that, uh, that you don't throw your clipboard. You don't holler at us in practice. You just keep loving us. You keep encouraging us. You keep showing us the way. And God, we thank you for your, well, for your absolute investment. Not just in our eternity, but our today. God, we want to represent our king right now. We, we, we want to show him who is we want to show the world who is Lord. We want to demonstrate it by our actions, our words, our plans, our our thoughts, our philosophies. God, we need you to continue your work and we know you will. Father, I pray for that one who's discouraged today, that one who's frustrated, God, I ask that you will show them the way to joy, even if the circumstance is no different. I pray that you will show them the way to fulfillment through service and submission. God, I pray that you will show them the way of representing your son through their willingness to serve. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for youth for Christ. I thank you for Eric. I thank you for his team. Of awesome staff and all the volunteers. And I pray that you will show a number of our folks how they could be involved as early as this week. And we'll thank you for it. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the ways the shirt said, Amen.